You're listening to The Served Up Show, a podcast that features inspiring beverage professionals and topic experts that share their passions through meaningful content. Your hostesses, Bridget Albert, is best known as the Market Fresh Mixologist, an industry mentor with over 25 years of experience. And I'm Julie Milroy, best known for my passion for leading change and helping others grow in their careers. Grab a cocktail and sit back. Let's learn how we can make a positive impact in our industry. Hey y'all, it's Bridget here. Our guest needs no introduction among wine aficionados. Please join me in welcoming Serafin Alvarado, a master sommelier whose journey in the wine world began under the mentorship of the celebrated icon chef, Charlie Trotter. Serafin not only mastered the art of pairing wine with culinary delights, but also cultivated a passion that would become the cornerstone of his career. In this episode, we dive into the rich tapestry of his experiences, exploring the nuances of working alongside a culinary genius and how those early days shaped his approach to the world of sommelier excellence. So grab yourself your favorite glass of wine, sit back and relax this very special show. Seraphin, welcome to Served Up. I am so happy to have you on our show. Oh, Bridget, pleasure to be here with you. Thank you for the invitation. Absolutely. Seraphin, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, where you come from, and how you found yourself in the world of wine? Uh, very interesting. I, uh, I'm a, I uh, truly believe in the fact that I didn't choose this path. The path chose me. And uh, I, I, I heard that once via Charlie Trotters. And I'll talk a little bit about that, how important that was in, in all this uh, career uh, development. But I never imagined I would be in this world. I, um, I'm originally, I was born in Brooklyn. Uh, New York, New Yorker until I was like nine, 10 years old. Uh, big New York Mets fan, big uh, New York Jets fan, which is horrible, but, <laughs> but pretty cool. And, and grew up in Brooklyn was, was something very wholesome for me and still have amazing memories in, in terms of Brooklyn. My family relocated, family Puerto Rican parents, my family relocated to, uh, to Puerto Rico around that, that age. It was a little bit rough for me, I remember, because of a uh, I'm moving from Brooklyn to a very rural part of Puerto Rico country. And I had to kind of kind of adapt myself to that condition in terms of my friends and and the environment. And these were kids that are very country. They were they would ride horses, they would swim in lakes and fish, and they would do all these stuff that that city city kids didn't didn't do. So I had to kind of the only thing that really uh, helped me uh, in a certain way connect with them. Uh, and being embraced by them with sports. So I played baseball. Baseball was, was my, my life passion uh, at that age. And, and um, so I was, was able to be embraced in, in that regard. Uh, after that, uh, once I'm in high school, music became very important in my life. Um, I was kind of combining between music and sports. But while in high school, music became very important. I got a uh, music uh, scholarship for University of Puerto Rico. Big deal, full full ride scholarship, uh, playing the bass, 
And um, I, I was I'm very proficient in terms of reading and, and things that sort. And um, so my family uh, told me that um, since I have the scholarship and there's a commitment in terms of hours I need to put into music based on the scholarship, why don't you major in something else? Because you're still going to get the education portion of music heavily. And um, and, and it just was a, a safety, you know, just do something else, gives you a little bit more diversity in terms of possibilities and and um, in terms of career future and things of that sort. And and uh, so I my good friends were uh, uh, were in natural sciences uh, and, and chemistry specifically, one in chemistry, one in biology. And uh, so I just followed suit with them. I, I was I had the grades and I was able, okay, let's let's major in in, in science uh, with a focus in, in chemistry. So uh, Bridget, I was really lost. It was a period about that I, I really lost a sense of a purpose, a sense of where I was heading because uh, I was doing the music, but it was I wasn't doing it on on a on a uh, in a way that was fulfilling me. Um, just just meeting up, meeting the requirements, meeting the minimum that I needed to do. And then on the other side, chemistry was not speaking to me. It was something totally abstract and very cold. And, and um, it, yeah, it wasn't resonating. So I was really lost, but, I, but just keep going, keep going. And, um, and then started working part-time in a restaurant. And uh, actually, uh, a room service waiter, actually. It was a new hotel. That was opening in the, my college town called Ponce, which is the second major city of 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 Puerto Rico in the south. And there was this new Hilton property that was opening, and bilingual was a basically the only requirement. And I met that. And uh, but since I didn't have any um, experience in any particular right department of hotel, they just put me in room service. And 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 I mean, it, rightly so. I mean, it was just very simple just roll the card. Here's his check. Thank you very much and leave. Uh, but I was very fortunate that I had a, um, actually going back a step, step back, my original, I, I, I was looking for a job and the original job was a uh, true store called nine West where there's a mall that was opening as well around that time, female true store, right? Um, primarily. And they hired me for the uh, warehouse. And I uh, remember uh, I was really excited. My first job ever. And uh, I had a, a day to show up for um, first time. And then the night before, actually, literally the night before I was supposed to uh, report to work for the, fir for the first day, they told me that they did a, uh, they cut down the, the opening team. And I was unfortunately part of that, that cut, cut off. And that would probably, that would led me to the Hilton hotel, which I'm, I'm, the reason why I mentioned this is how, how fate works. Because if, if the shoes thing would have happened, who knows? Probably I would have never <laughs> been in this world. I remember that it was a neighbor that worked in the uh, employment department, and, and she was able then to advise me about the, uh, the hotel. I show up to the hotel, all good. And then there's this lady from Baltimore uh, that, uh, was a, ex that was my manager, direct manager. She was married to the executive chef. Uh, so they're very, very, very passionate about food and wine and hospitality and all that. And that was my first encounter to uh, what hospitality is all about in, in this world. And she was extremely passionate. So on the downtimes, so the rush was in the morning, breakfast, and then there was a 
downtime and then lunch, another rush. So in that downtime, we're just doing menial things like folding napkins, uh, cleaning silverware, where it was. But she would do a lot of staff trainings in the in-between. And wine was one of her passions, even though we were not using that level of knowledge. But, but it was fascinating. So, so what it did, it, it, it elevated, it, it ignited in me an understanding of wine, but from an appreciation and understanding of wine, but from another perspective that anybody else that was in that room with me was relating and connecting to it. Uh, and why was that? Because of the music and the science component. So, so, the, so as she was talking about uh, wine, I was able to relate from the science perspective, from the chemistry, microbiology, fermentation, yeast, and all that uh, processes that, that take place from a scientific standpoint. And then science came to life in that sense. And then the, the, I think the most critical part was the music component, because the music component helped me relate to wine on, on a more artistic, on a more um, from an aesthetic perspective. So able to see the nuances and able to see right the, the underlying pinnings of wine on a, on a more deeper level in terms of appreciation of, of the, the sum greater than the parts. And, uh, and that literally, literally, Bridget, that was the light bulb that went on and said, this is it. I want, I, this, is what, this is it. This is what life had led me towards to. And this is what I want to do. And then I asked myself, well, if I'm going to do this, I want to be the best I can be. I want to maximize my potential, my capabilities, and, and learn as much as I can and, and be the best I can be in this world. So I started searching and learned about the Court of Master Sommeliers. And I remember there was a Master Sommelier that had visited Puerto Rico around that time. And I was able to, through the newspaper and the journalists and all that, I was able to <laughs> track him. And, and just just reach out and say, hey, I'm Sir from Alvarado and I want to be a master sommelier. What do I have to do? Very naive. Very naive because, I mean, we're talking about, we're talking about, I, I didn't have no clue of what it entailed and the sacrifices and all the struggles and, and everything, the commitment and that came afterwards. But, but I was very fortunate it put me on track. And, and that led me to Chicago. Because I was, I started the uh, process of becoming master sommelier. I started in Puerto Rico, but I was isolated to the in, in a sense that I didn't have any um, uh, study partners. I didn't have uh, a study groups. I didn't have mentors that had direct access. So um, that that worked particularly as as I was getting to the higher levels of the program. It, it it was not it was not working in my favor. So and that's where a relocation was essentially uh, suggested. By Doug Frost, you know Doug Frost, right? Common friend. Doug Frost has suggested. Yeah, I know Doug Frost very well, and I think mm -hmm. what's really kind of cool about Doug is that you know a lot of times, or maybe not so much anymore, but around the time that you started, for sure, when we talked about um, wine or sommeliers or master sommeliers, it was so elite that maybe we thought that the folks behind those titles were elitists. Where Doug is so warm and friendly mm -hmm. and crazy fun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so freaking cool. He really shattered that mold, which I thought was a great thing. Great teacher, great educator. Uh, yeah, I guess. Him, and he's, a, he's not just a master of something. He's a master of wine as well, uh, which is only four people in the world have that distinction. Uh, and our colleague, Eric Hemer, as well. So, uh, so I relocated. And then uh, that's, that, that, that changed. That, was, that relocation 
And to be honest, Bridget, I never thought I would leave Puerto Rico. My parents are there, you know, and uh, we never thought I would leave my parents. And I have relocated at that time, my family, my wife and my two daughter, young daughters at the time. They were like five and seven. So it was a major move. It wasn't just uh, let's go to Chicago. Major move, school, language, culture, a city that never been before, big city, and working at Charlie Trotters, which is just 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 fascinating. I remember also, it's just amazing how fate works. Because in that in that pursuit of trying to find something that would be more more like a training ground for me for the MS, Ritz Carlton was opening a, a a hotel, a resort in in San Juan, and the uh, beverage the corporate beverage director for Ritz Carlton was a master sommelier. His name was Emmanuel Kamiji, one of the first MSs. So he was he was he was very present in Puerto Rico while that starting stages of the of Ritz Carlton. He was hiring and training and just establishing the culture of, of Ritz Carlton. I said, this is it, perfect. I'll connect with him and I stay in Puerto Rico and having he will be my mentor. Now that's what that's what I thought without having to leave Puerto Rico. So I go through the interview process and and everything was cool. And then I didn't get the job. And um and I, 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 I still see him to this day when I go to Puerto Rico, some events, and I remind him that, like, like, like you, you passed on me. And Charlie tried to open his, oh, it was the opposite. Charlie from Puerto Rico hired me with no experience. No, he, did, he cared less about uh, pedigree or any background or anything else. Or he, he cared more about attitude, way of thinking, what, what. What what essentially is your 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 philosophy and because that's the uh, he would say that the, the the technical aspects of the of the trade he would he he can teach you that but the the that hospitality essence and that element of caring you can't teach that that is uh, and he sees that and he has, he he builds that assessment based on a conversation with you based on what you read he then he understands what your values are. And where your interests are, and then he knows if that's a fit or not. Because even going through that process, it's still really hard. Once you go into the day to day with trotters, that was that was intense. Not many people were able to sustain that, survive it. Time, yeah, yeah. I mean, survive it. He was tough. He wasn't the nicest person. I mean, I know I met him multiple times. I worked events in his home. He wasn't the kindest person, you know, was, it was tough. Yeah. He was tough on people. Um, yeah, it was a philosophy of, of it, was, it was, I would say, uh, it, for him, human beings, based on his philosophy, they have, they have an obligation to the world and to society to, mm-hmm. to, to contribute and bring your skills uh, to the world and contribute the, the best you, you can. That's your responsibility. Unfulfilling those skills, unfulfilling your capabilities and your talents and things that sort, you're doing a disservice to, to the world, to humanity. Mm-hmm. We're all here to fit a part of the puzzle and contribute to that big picture. So he was very adamant to push you. It may seem mean, it may seem whatever it is, but it was, it was just a way to, to wake you up, to be able to, be able to f- fulfill those, those talents and skills. And, but, but I got to, I got, I really, I have to say that uh, I I was able to know all sides of Charlie Trotter in my mm-hmm. time there, and I I was able to see his his more kinder, more gentler, 
believe it or not, he had he had that side and and very empathetic, very understanding. And uh, one of those moments was when I um, I was supposed to be he's he's opening a restaurant in Mexico in Cabo, in Cabo San Lucas, uh, in a hotel called Palmilla, this extremely ultra high end resort. The first now now Cabo is very high end right now, but back in the day it it it, it, it was just a kind of like a college place to go and do tequila shots and 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 uh, spring break and things of that sort. So Palmilla became this one and only is the name of the company became this ultra resort. And uh, so Charlie had a restaurant there and he invited me to, he asked me to be the, the, the wine director there at Palmilla, uh, the cultural connection, Spanish and all that. And, and knowing the Trotter culture, it was easy for me to go over there and, and, and do it. And, um, and I thought about it and I, but my girls were very little and I struggled with it. And I knew that if I turned down the offer, uh, Charlie had a tradition that said, well, then let's, let's, make, let's make this your last day then. He, he wasn't too uh, fond of, of if he offered you an opportunity of growth and, and you turn it off, then, then probably you cut off graces from him and with him. And, um, and I remember I struggled, got into a meeting with him spoke to him, explained the reason what it was and, and how grateful I was that he considered me. But I, I was speaking from the heart and he looked at me and said, you know what? I understand. I'm a father as well. If I were to be in your situation, I would, I would, I would, I would, I would do the same thing. And that was the first, I was, that was the first moment I saw that kind of gentler, kinder, yeah. empathetic side of him. And, and from there, he was really proud when I passed my MS. He was really happy and very proud when I passed my MS. And post MS, when I left the, the restaurant, I, I kept in communication with him, and he, which is very rare. Uh, Charlie had a very small circle of people, friends, and 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 former employees. They would stay in touch with, and I was I was very very fortunate to be part of that part of that circle. Um, that's a, remember, that's incredible. Yeah, I remember. I mean, I, this is just 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 interesting how life works. Uh, a week or two weeks prior of his passing, he mm-hmm. he, he he reached out for something else, um, and in that something else turned into this long conversation. I remember I needed to turn off the car, mm-hmm. and and just talking to me like a buddy, like a friend, like mm-hmm. we never had spoke. Right? That's I always great. Spoke. And and then he passes two weeks later, so mm-hmm. it, it kind of was a way of saying goodbye. Yeah, goodbye. Yeah, I'm glad you had those fine that final, you know moment Mm -hmm. with him because I know that he was your mentor and he meant absolutely so much to you. Did you see the documentary about him? Absolutely. Yeah. It was hard to watch. I didn't know how to how to approach it. Uh I remember when it came out and 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 I knew that I knew it was going to be very touching. Yeah. Uh for for those of us that that knew him very closely and Mm -hmm. and and we were part of that world. Yeah. uh, uh, I knew it was it was it was, it was going to be uh, in some way uh, touching and emotional, and and I did I did I saw it once by myself, and then uh, we did a like a like a viewing with um, other former colleagues. Oh, wonderful! Yeah, and 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 uh, it was great. I was I think it was well done in the sense that it it really showed right that his other sides. That's not yeah. just that. that tyrant that people tend to portray that he was there there was this also chuck that was chai and and playful and and i loved i love that love story 
which is mm-hmm. uh, was his, his uh, first wife and how that evolved. And you got to learn a little bit about him and, yeah. and his upbringing and what led to be Charlie Trotters later that everybody knew. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's wonderful. You, I hope you do write a book one day. You should write an autobiography. <laughs> You've lived quite a life. You know, you've lived many lifetimes in your short time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, really a have. lot of great experiences there. Yeah. Yeah. So what led you to your current role at Southern Glaciers? What are you doing today? Well, with Southern Glaciers, uh, I knew at that point, I, this is another great story because uh, I knew that Charlie Trotters was not a, a long-term <laughs> situation. Uh, just the fact that it's, it's very, very draining emotionally, uh, mentally, and physically. Um, it's not, it's not a long-term preposition and, um, uh, already had passed my MS, which was essentially my goal. Uh, I took Charlie Trotters as kind of my postgraduate kind of like, like, uh, uh, idea and, and <clears throat> gave myself a certain, I gave myself four years to do it. Um, and, and then what I did is that, that I passed my MS and then gave myself kind of a, a year to, to be there as a master sommelier and, and return to Charlie, you know, for appreciating and then, then move to something else. And then while I was at Charlie Trotters, I learned a skill set uh, that, I, that I was good at in comparison to my other colleagues, other wine team. We all had different skill sets and we complement each other well. And that's why we, we built this amazing wine team. Uh, at that time, Jason Smith, which is a master sommelier right now, he's in Vegas, and Linda Villalago. Uh, which is now in, in Seattle. Uh, she's in a band somewhere. And we created this great team because each of us had different skill sets. And for me was, um, yeah, I, I was a, a great a, a teacher. I was able to, to, to teach and teach. And it's, 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 I mean, you know this, right? It's a, it's a, it's a skill set that has nothing to do with the amount of knowledge that you have. There's people with great level of knowledge that we've known, but when it comes to teaching, they're not the best teachers. <laughs> It's like basketball, let's say Michael Jordan, basketball players at the level of Michael Jordan, they're very skilled at what they do, but they're not great coaches, you know? <laughs> so I learned that I had that ability to distill co- uh, complex concepts in a way that people can really understand. And that's that. And I did that, obviously, it came natural. I didn't overthink it. It was just, it's a way, how can I explain malactive fermentation in a way that people can understand it and relate to it and understand the whys and the connections. I'm, I'm a true believer. I think it's because of how I, I learn. Things need to make sense to me because if it doesn't make sense, I, I just can't memorize facts. And just for the sake of memorizing a fact, it has to make sense to me. I need some background. I see context. And so I need to connect the dots, how things connect and relate to each other. And that's how I really understand a concept rather than memorizing it. And once I understand it, it's mine. I'm not going to lose it. I understand it. I can teach it. I can turn it upside down. I can, I can, I can, I can manipulate the information because I understand it well. And that's, that's what helped me to be a teacher. And I love to see the, the, uh, the response, how people, how, when you see, you, you, you've been there too, Bridget, right? Where you see that spark in their eyes. When they get it, when they they come to this self realization of what you're trying to convey, and it's a beautiful moment. It's a it's it's uh, it's a, that so that realization of understanding a concept, that aha moment. And um, so I knew that that probably that would be my next my next step. 
And so again, I, I knew that Southern, at that time was Southern Wine and Spirits, uh, what's, what's coming to Illinois. That was around 2002, somewhere around there. Uh, they were coming to Illinois. They were combining, like they bought several, several distributors, Romano and so on and so forth. And they, um, so I knew that was happening. And so I did, this is a great, crazy story. I tell the story and people like, it's just the naiveness again. I, uh, the same way that I, I approached this MS to, to, to pursue the MS program. I, so who do I call? So I, so the only person that I, that I, of name that I knew from Southern was Mel Dick. <laughs> so hang on, hold up because you know, this is a worldwide podcast. Some people not yeah. may not understand the gravity of the person that you just called out of the blue. Can you explain who Mel Dick was at that time to the beverage world and still really is today? It still is. I mean, I think uh, Mel Dick, uh, uh, a lot, I mean, with the chaplains obviously and, and Mel Dick, they, they, they built basically what is wholesaler distributor culture of wine here in the United States, the way we know it today, all that framework that was built through, through what the chaplains and what Meldick did back did in the it, day. Yeah. Back in the day, wasn't he the first person to ever do wine by the glass on a menu? Yes. Very yes. formative. That's bananas. Very and this is who you just called up and said, Hey, yeah. <laughs> very forward thinking. And, and I mean, we're talking about in the late sixties, early seventies, the culture of wine wasn't what is now. So he was a pioneer, a pioneer along with the Robert Mondavis of the world, you know, uh, in terms of building the culture of wine in America. And um, so, yeah, so I called Mel Dick and uh, I was hoping, honestly, I was hoping to get to a voicemail. And uh, so I called and, and the assistant picks up. Yeah. All right. So I said, this is Serafin. I'm calling from Chicago, Charlie Triers. Um, just trying to reach Mel Dick. Oh, okay, one second, please. And then she puts me on hold. And then comes this voice and said, uh, hello, uh, Mel Dick here. And I said, whoa, this is Mel Dick. So now you got to go. Now you get you can't shy now. And so, oh, hello, uh, Mr. Dick. And this is Seraphin. Uh, I explained how it was. I really think that the call went through because I said Charlie Trotters. Charlie Trotters at that time, big restaurant. So I, as the great that he is, you know, he. And he, he thought, anyway, he, he was not going to pass on that call. So then I, I told him, you know, uh, this, is, this is my career um, options. I really want to, I'm, I'm excited that Southern uh, is coming to Illinois. I know and that's the other thing that I knew the culture of Southern as really, being really pro-education and uh, pro-right training, and, and which is how we got into the company because of that culture because of that, that uh, mentality and mindset. So I knew that was there. I was not coming into something totally new, proposing education. I knew it was music to his ears. And, uh, and I said, hey, uh, I, I would love to be part of the, the team in, in Illinois. I'm currently at Charlie Trotters, but I'm considering at some point moving away. Um, right now, I'm, I'm pursuing my MS. I'm, um, I'm, I'm taking the exam. I, I had, at that point, I had passed already one section. I passed uh, the service portion. So I had theory and tasting left. And I was going to take it. I mean, when I made the call, probably I, I was, it was like two months later. And he said, wow, that's amazing, Seraphim. That's fantastic. Good for you. Good luck. And he said, you know what? Let's do, let's do this. He tells me, let's do this. 
give me a call when you pass your MS and we'll, we'll have a conversation. And I said, all right. Oh, that's fantastic. Fantastic. I, I remember ending the phone call and then having this moment of happiness and excitement. But then at the same time, I said, well, wait a minute. Was he just being nice to me? Uh, because the chances of me becoming a massive sommelier is, is a 3%, 3 to 5%. So the chances of me calling him back is a 3 to 5%. But in my eyes, he, he, he basically gave me hope. And he said, uh, all right, so call me back when you become an MS. All right. So when I go two months later, I pass my, my tasting and I pass my uh, theory in the same shot. So um, it was generally my second attempt at the MS and became an MS. And uh, so here I am. I got to call Mel Dick. <laughs> and I call Mel Dick, same process. I went through his assistant. Okay, please hold. And blah, blah, the music in the background. And can you, can, this is the, the, the part that really, for me, separates people of his caliber, why they are the way they are. When he picks up the phone, he didn't say hi or anything. The first thing that he said came out of his mouth was, did you pass? So he remembered the conversation. He remembered his promise. And the first thing he says was, did you pass? And I thought I was going to have to explain all over again who I was and, and, and that we spoke two months ago and things of that sort. And he was right on. He was right on. And I said, yes, I did. I said, fantastic. Congratulations. All right. And let's start the process. And that's when he told me that wow. um, Will Conniff, mm -hmm. which we, we, we worked together with Will, was going to be assigned to Illinois. And he was going to basically restructure everything that was at that point there. And and kind of build that Southern culture there. Once, once he was settled, we'll call you. And that was the end of the conversation. It's like, don't wow. call me, we'll call you. Mm -hmm. And, and Will did call me. Wow. <laughs> like, three months later after that conversation, I had a phone call from Will. Hey, this is Will Conniff. Um, Mel Dick gave me your information and, and I want you to come in. And so we can have an interview and have a conversation. And that was it. And so and now how long have you been with Southern? This is, I mean, you're, you're same time. So this is going to be our 19th year, right? Probably. I'm going on 20. <laughs> this is going to be like 20. So I'm, I'm here behind you, right? Just, uh, yeah. Very, very slight. Yeah. Right, right. So, yeah. So I think this is our 19th going on to 20 now. Yeah. Yeah. Which it's is crazy. A, which is fascinating. And I, I'm very grateful because um, I've, I've been able to do a 20 year career. And um, doing something that I love, which is education and inspiring people and connecting mm -hmm. with people. And, and we, both of us, we've seen right, people that we have worked closely and see how their careers have blossomed mm -hmm. and that we saw them early in their, in their early stages of their careers. And we have, that, that's very gratifying because 20 years, you see careers progress and evolve and grow and, and develop. And um, so it's just, just fascinating. And, and the thing with education is that in our world, and, and particularly the wine world, it's so, so changing. It's, it's mm -hmm. so dynamic and changing that um, you, there's never a time that you can sit back and say, uh, I, I know it all and I feel comfortable right. and, and just, just relax and chill. And the other thing is the commitment of Southern as a company, Southern Glazers now, as a commitment to that education portion that uh, not many companies uh, have that level yeah. of commitment and understanding the connection of, right. How important 
is in terms of having a sales staff that is educated, knowledgeable, in order to build that trust and credibility and and sales follow from there. Right, right. Yeah, that's incredible. Absolutely Mm -hmm. incredible. You know, something that you touched on was just the wine world ever evolving. You know, when you look back on your career, um, how has wine, how has the wine world really changed since when you started to today? What are some of the highlights? I think, um, uh, well, first and foremost, I think it's how how things are changing in terms of when you think about right what's happening in terms of, uh, let's say, climate change. So you, you, you're starting to see now, right, how regions that when I started uh, learning about wine, uh, Bridget, uh, there was a certain style associated to it. Uh, today, 20 years later, 20 plus years later, plus I got considered 25 or so when I started the whole education with wine, now those styles have morphed into something else. Uh, so my understanding of what a traditional style would be in a certain area, that is changing. Like champagne, for example, is changing. Uh, Germany is changing. Um, the Loire Valley, Sancerre, those regions, that's, that is changing. Um, Bordeaux is changing. Burgundy. So this, all the, what we consider these classic archetypes, that is evolving. That is changing. And I think we're right now in the midst of all that. It's fascinating the way uh, consumers are relating to to wine. Uh, it's fascinating. I, I I was able to see a process where wine was very elitist, was a very segmented to a small group of uh, wealthy male, older, right? That was kind of the 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 the, the fine wine crowd was essentially that. It evolved into something more inclusive and see it a little bit more mainstream. I remember going to supermarkets back in the day and, and basically that, that $10, $15 below section was, was a minefield. I mean, there was not a lot of good wines there. And, and, uh, and the section was much smaller and grocery stores. Now today you go to any, any supermarket, right? You'll see that it's just shelves and shelves and the options are endless. And they're all great wines and different price points, different styles. So it's, it's more about your, your, your likings. But from a quality perspective, they're solid in, in their price categories. They're great values. So that, that has changed tremendously in that regard, how consumers are relating. Now, right recently, the emphasis, which I remember, remember, probably you remember this, that the, the connection of consumers with what uh, with, with, with all has to do with sustainability and organic and things of that sort. I remember once upon a time, consumers, didn't, that was, an, uh, uh, that, that was an, an aspect of wine that people would pay attention to. And we started to see that in food, right, with, with whole foods and produce there and all that, how that has translated into other, uh, to wine and other beverages. Just, it's just fascinating how, how that is, that it's a value. Um, I think that's positive because that has forced a lot of producers to really pay attention to that uh, since consumers are, are valuing that aspect. As of recent, it's really cool to see also social change. You know, how, how consumers now, it's not just about that it's Cabernet. It's not just about that it comes from a certain area. They want to know the values of the, of the property, of the winery in, in relation to inclusiveness, you know, and social justice and, and, uh, and uh, in, in terms of how they treat their employees, you know, 
uh, things of that sort. You know, that's important for consumers today. I think I'm that's, glad uh, that it is. I'm glad that it is. Yeah. I'm glad that we're valuing humanity now. You know, really the people that are serving you Mm -hmm. and with their work day to day looks like. And then you mentioned like the diversity of it all. You know, I know that for such a long time, even at Southern Glaciers, you know, you'd Mm -hmm. see just the stereotypical white guy as your Mm -hmm. salesperson with his Mm -hmm. suit and his tie. And so I think that you know, early on that Mary Barranco, who was in charge of education when you and I met for Southern yep. Glaciers of Illinois was very groundbreaking at that time, you know, Absolutely. hiring myself, who is a woman, mm-hmm. yourself, you know, a Puerto, Re- Puerto Rican, and just know. having yep. that starting a, a diverse team of sorts to go out and really to be the face of Southern Glaciers of Illinois when it came to our brands and brand education. I think that was such a fierce, bold move. You think about it. That was uh, t- in 2005, six mm-hmm. when we started this movement. Yeah. Uh, it, and we, we built it from scratch. I remember mm-hmm. it was uh, it was something that you, we went out there with a, a, a new message mm-hmm. and uh, and just just little by little, right, getting people to to get on board with the message and get on board yeah. with that. And we have to, it, it was, it was really ground roots. It was little by little and getting suppliers behind us, you know, to support little by little, see, right. The progress and see yeah. how things were growing and to, to, to essentially change, change. Yeah. Part of that. yeah. And now we see change. It's just such a different place today to, to work and to be than it was in 2005. And I think that that sings the same song for many places that are really taking a look you know, at um, not just their hiring process, but do they have the diversity, equity, and collusion programs? You know, what does the culture look like? And, you know, does everything really go back to those family values? And I think that it's an incredibly exciting time to work for Southern Glaciers today. And to, um, and for you, especially, Seraphin, where you are that spokesperson for the wine side of the industry in the state of Illinois. I mean, you're having that one-on-one time with the customers, with the sales team, and really just sharing your passion and your love for your craft. And right. how great is that, that, a, that you get to do that every day? Yeah. Yeah. Very fortunate. And I, like, I, I feel, I don't know, like I probably like an actor feels or an athlete feels, you know, that you're able to, you able to to dedicate right, make a living and dedicate your day to day to something that you 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 really believe in and 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 you're wholeheartedly invested in. Hundred mm-hmm. percent. What's next for you, Seraphin? I uh, right now, um, well, actually, very interesting. I I'm in the MW program, Master of Wine program, which uh, I would I never thought that that would get again into the rigor of some of a study program like the MS. Uh, but I, I, I came, this was a realization. I came back actually through, through the lockdown and COVID that I, I just, I just want, I, I, for me is continuing education is fundamental and it keeps challenging you and keeps, keeps pushing you to be a better professional, be challenge yourself to, to be the best you can be, which is why I got into this in the first place. And I always had admired the MW program in the sense of their approach to, to wine. It's a, a little bit different from the MS uh, in which is the local thinking. 
and and which I've always always has been my approach to learning and my approach towards teaching. Like I mentioned earlier, connecting the dots, making sense of the information, establishing that difference between knowing and understanding, and uh, and the MW program kind of follows in that direction. And I thought, why not? And then my my uh, my boss Eric Hemer, he's a he's one of the four master sommeliers, master of wine in the world, and uh, also inspired me. Very inspiring that I know that it's something that. That is there, and and why not? Why not try it? There's no guarantee that I'm gonna right achieve it, but but going into it, I I already have, I know at least the level of commitment that takes and takes the the heart that takes, and um, and using the blueprint of the MS uh, program preparation, it's, it's at, at the very least I'm I'm it's gonna I'm gonna learn a lot, and and bring that to to my students. Yeah. I'm yeah. I think that's beautiful better. for you. How wonderful that you can continue to challenge yourself. And, you know, something that our listeners may not be aware of that you are a rock and roll star as well. Can we yeah. talk just a little bit about your band? That's so amazing in the Chicagoland area called the rack and the Riddler that's and cool. tell our listeners where they can find you performing. Well, uh, the Rack and the Riddler comes as a, again, I mentioned earlier, right? Music is, was a, a, an important aspect of my life uh, early on, my teen years, and, and, um, and then put it aside because of my wine career. And um, at some point after the MS, I, I, I wanted to get back into it. Again, it's so integral, so, so part of who I am. And um, while at Southern, uh, I did a couple of jams here and there before that, but while at Southern, it coincided that we had a group of people like-minded that also were very passionate about music and study music and things of that sort. And John Blum, for example, back in the day uh, was an HR recruiter. He had studied music and found his his way where he was currently in his career away from music. But he also, in the same mindset that he would have, he wanted to get back together, whatever it is. I remember him and then Michael Barranco, which is uh, Mary's son, which is interesting because I remember when we started working there, Michael was <laughs> a little. Was, I think he was like 12. He was like 12. He would show up. Uh, and then now we're in the same band. And, and, and that's how it all came about, was industry members. And then the name uh, relates to, to wine. So the Rack and the Riddler is a, is a, is a, is a reference to uh, champagne and the champagne method of production where, where you, you put the bottles of, of champagne uh, after the second fermentation to, uh, to age on these racks called pupitre. And then a person comes and, 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 and shakes the bottles to disturb the sediment, to disturb the yeast so that the wine can extract all that contribution of the, of the lees. And, uh, and that's the Riddler. And hence the rack and the Riddler, how it came about. And, and, and so we did a lot of wine and music uh, pr- presentations. You were, remember, we did a couple of them at City Winery, which I think those were very fulfilling because it, I was able, to, in, in that sh- type of setting, I was able to really combine both of my passions, wine and food, uh, sorry, wine and, and, and music, uh, because we were able to do these pairings in terms of certain sets with certain wines and, and, and just guide guide the people who are attending uh, the show through this, this, this trip in terms of 
of music connecting to I'm I'm a great believer that 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 music has an effect in terms of how you how how you relate to a certain beverage and and with food and there's no coincidence why you go to restaurants and there's music in the background uh so there's always this subliminal by uh, effect of music in terms of how you, your mood affects your mood and how it opens you up to a certain experience and now there's a little bit more scientific research related to that but uh but it's fascinating how how your experience of a certain wine changes with a, with a certain music um and and again that's not new right we 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 have music that we're in the we're in a beach mood, right? There's a certain let's listen to reggae, right? If we're in a, on a study mood, we have to I don't know we have something a little bit more classical, a little bit more. Uh, if we're a little bit more romantic mood, right? So it, it it's there's a music that suits your mood and suits how you're going to open up to an experience. So so with that, I think we did a lot of that, and the and the band has been performing tremendously. We did a a lot. Um, again, it's a it's a part time thing. We could have grown the band to be something bigger, but the reality, we always wanted to keep it as a hobby. <laughs> that is fun because once it, it, it stops being a hobby and, and we got to that point at some point, Bridget, that where we were gigging a lot and it was getting stressful and, and then it, it stops being fun. Remember, we all have our day jobs, uh, but, uh, but it's, it's fantastic. I, it's something that I really enjoy. I get lost myself and on stage and, and music is one of those things that for me is just you get lost into it and 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 seeing like that reaction when you're playing playing a gig and you see the everybody happy and smiling and jumping and singing along and and this is the thing our genre is nineties which is a it's a it's a it's a great genre it's a it genre really that, is and it's back it is anything nineties right now is so hot. Yeah, and all, all, all these think about Weezer and and Blink One Eighty Two and Green Day and and uh, and Nirvana and and all that stuff. Those 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 are timeless music mm -hmm. that yeah. the, the current generation right now knows them. Yeah, they know these songs. They mm -hmm. they relate to it, and uh, so it, it's a great era. And and yeah, Gwen Stefani, no doubt. You know that you, that's. That's good music. That's, That's good music. Great Cranberries. music. Mm -hmm. Love it. I love yeah. it. Well, I want to thank you, Seraphin, for spending some time here on Served Up with me. I hope you'll come back. Will you come back? Absolutely. Be a return guest in like, I don't know, I maybe in it. like six months and we'll we'll like check in with you. Absolutely. Like Absolutely. It'll be my it will be my pleasure, Bridget. I will love it. And you know, I just want to wish you some great health and a lot of peace, brother. Thank you for being on Served Up. Same to you and your family. Uh, happy holidays, Merry Christmas to everybody who's listening, and uh, and just very exciting about what what's happening in the wine world. Just 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 keep. Uh, I, I again, just to finish with something something positive. I think the the key here is to when things are done from the heart, when they're sincere, when it is there's a a, a true element of generosity. It fills the world with positivity and love and good things and. And I think we have that possibility, the opportunity to, in terms of what we do with wine and spirits, to bring that element of, of love and joy. Because at the end of the day, it's not really about the wine and the food. It's what it, it, it creates community, it creates connection, mm -hmm. it creates right. Right, people coming together. Wine and spirits and cocktails is a bridge to mm -hmm. create those moments, to create those experiences, to create that, 
that element of, of human connection mm-hmm. that's, that's critical. And if we do it with that level of sincerity and understanding that that is the ultimate goal, then we're doing something good to yeah. humankind and society. Cheers to that and cheers to you. Absolutely. Cheers to you as well. Thanks for listening. Served Up is brought to you by Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits. Produced by Zunu.online. Music by We Kill the Lion can be found on Spotify. Make sure to subscribe to be notified of future Served Up episodes. Cheers. Cheers.